heard something. There's a light. Yeah? Yeah. Oh. It looks like a house. Well, come on, push. No, push. No, push down. It's a house. Yeah, I can't see it very well. Oh, Franklin, this is impossible. Come on, Sally. Get back and push down. This is impossible. I hear something out there. Sally, I hear something. Stop. Stop. Welcome to the Film Effect Treatment. Podcast. I have sharpened up my blades. This cellular is being shredded with this. I've smoked a lot of fucking weed in my life. <laughs> I don't think I've ever scored weed at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we're kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello, horror hounds, and welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, a weekly show that deep dives into a different film each episode in an effort to give it that full film effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. as real, just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. In the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, five friends head out to rural Texas to visit the grave of a grandfather, 
On the way, they stumble across what appears to be a deserted house, only to discover something sinister within. Something armed with a chainsaw. Alright, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm surprised it's taken this long for us to cover this film, to be quite honest. I vaguely recall me having it tentatively scheduled for the horathon last year, but for reasons unknown, it got uh, pushed back. So here we are, and obviously the reason we are doing it is because, you know, we're, we're coinciding with the release of Netflix Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, uh comes out the day of this episode's drop, which is the 18th, I believe, yeah, 18th, so, uh, this is like filmmakers, their second swing at making this, you know, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre X amount of years later, because 2013, they did the exact same thing, <laughs> yeah, and the, with, the Blumhouse uh, remake, the whole, too, uh, Blumhouse. Was it Bl- or Michael Bay, that's what I'm thinking of. Bay. Platinum Dunes. 2003. I'm sorry, not Blumhouse. Yeah, yeah, you had me for a second, but I'm like, and I, I don't, dude, I, I don't blame you, because everything seems to be a Blumhouse production when it comes to horror these days. So, I mean, here we are, and now we're doing Netflix sequels, I guess. Um, where are you at on this this new Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, I mean, I'm excited about it. To be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the series in general. I mean, I like the older ones, okay, and I, I like you know we'll get into it in the live top five. I like the remake, but as far as the newer ones, I'm not a huge fan. Like the Chainsaw 3D was okay, and then to be honest, the one that came out a couple of years ago, I forget what the title is off the top of my head. I started Leatherface. Leatherface. I started watching it. I think I got three quarters of the way through and fell asleep. It was fine. Like it, it wasn't terrible, but I wouldn't say it was great. It it put me to sleep, but it was fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was tired too. <laughs> that makes sense. But it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily the movie's fault that I fell asleep, but it wasn't good enough that I, I was like, ah, eh, I'll go back and finish it. It, it was just like, eh, I'm good. So. Right, right. Uh, you know, I'm I'm optimistic. I try to be optimistic. I try not to judge anything before I actually see it. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to watch it, and, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Any time an, a new entry comes into this series, I'll give it a chance. Yeah, I've said this on the show in the past. Uh, I always get excited when a new Chainsaw Massacre is coming out. Um, and it, it, it plays into my fear of chainsaws. Which I've went on record and saying, and you've seen it firsthand in haunted houses. Like that—that's the one thing that gets me still to this day. Are the fucking chainsaws? And I've always said, you know, I, I like being scared. I like play into that idea or that psychology of fear because that's how horror works. That's—that's that's, I think that's where um, the, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say the best because I don't by any means classify any of these Chainsaw Massacre films, not even this one that we're talking about today, as one of the best. Uh, but still, uh, you, you know what I'm getting at, though. Um, just, I don't know. The, the more I talk about it, the more I'm starting to lose my own train of thought here. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I'm looking forward to, I'm curious about this new one. I'm excited about it um, in one hand and got my guard up in the other. 
just based off the more recent films of this series. Uh, it just seems to... I don't know what road it wants to go down. I mean, every single movie, it's either a remake or an X amount of years later story or he's got a new fucking family or just a random batch of psychos, you know? And, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, Marilyn Burns and Gunnar Hansen are no longer with us, so we really don't get that true, you know, 50 or 40, 45 years later treatment just because you know, they're no longer with us. Marilyn Burns passed away in 2014, I believe, and Gunnar Hansen was in 2015. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know she passed. Uh, I, I knew Gunnar Hansen had passed. I didn't know she had passed away. Jeez. Uh, yeah, she passed away first, 2014. Yeah, August 5th, 2014. And I know Gunnar Hansen passed away in 2015 because he passed away the day I moved out of my apartment. Um, I remember that morning before I started uh, packing up the rest of my stuff. He, uh, or our stuff. He, uh, I saw the news that uh, he had passed. So that was November 6th or the 5th. Uh, which one is it? Um, 7th. <laughs> okay, I was a little bit off. 7th, 2015. So yeah. But anyway, uh, so yeah, we have different actors, of course. Uh, I think Andrew, what's his name, Barnyarski or whatever, however you pronounce it from the remakes, he's the only actor who's played Leatherface, you know, more than once. Every every film has had a different actor play the, you know, the killer. So, and this is no different. Um, and, and of course, Sally Harsty is back for the new one. They're playing the, they're, they're playing off the whole Halloween 2018 bit. Where Lori Strode is, you know, Sally Hardesty in this one. And that's why I've got my guard up. But on the other hand, I'm excited because, hey man, it's a new Chancellor Massacre. So, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, but here we are. The original. 1974. Let's talk first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time, so technically that's my second time, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it, so if I'm not up to... When did you see this for the first time? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious, actually. I, don't, I know it wasn't with me. Yeah, this is one of those that I have trouble pinpointing when I first saw. Because I don't remember watching this on cable or anything like that. I don't know how widely... Uh, or remember how widely this was available on TV. So this is one of those I rented uh, on a random weekend when um, I was old enough that my parents stopped giving a shit about what I watched. So I, I was probably like 11 or 12 or whatever on just a random weekend renting it on VHS and watching it. And then another viewing that sticks out in my head was I remember I bought like the special edition. It was like a maybe like a 30 year special edition or something like that in 2004 uh, around that time uh, and rewatching it then. Cause I think at that point I'd only seen it a few times. So I, I remember rewatching it like around when the remake was uh, in 03 or, or right after that or four. Um, so yeah, it doesn't really stand out. It was just a nondescript weekend rental and I remember it freaking me out. Are you talking about that DVD that came out in 2003 to coincide with the remake that was packaged like a uh, ground beef uh, thing? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I haven't seen thing. edition. I'd sort of that. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like you said originally, this didn't get a whole lot of play on television. It really did not. This was not a movie that was on Nightmare Theater. Um, my earliest memories of this movie were seeing clips on. Uh, so I'm gonna name drop a blast from the past. Coy Cumberland <laughs> had this CD-ROM, like uh, this movie encyclopedia. And I remember me, him, and Colby one day were like looking up random horror movies, and like it would give you like little trivia tidbits, the actors, and um, it would play like a handful of clips from the movie, and that's how I was introduced to the Chainsaw Massacre. I was familiar with the, you know, I, I heard about the movie, I knew it was a movie, and then I I just remember you know looking that up and then watching the clip that stands out that we watched a couple of times was the uh, the very end with the truck driver uh, randomly come in after he hit the hitchhiker. It was just it started when he got out of his truck and then hit the through the wrench at him and all that stuff. But that was my introduction. That wasn't my 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 first chainsaw massacre uh, film that I ever saw was part three, Leatherface. It was a random rental at Drug City one night when I was uh uh, hanging out with John and Mel, my aunt and uncle, and we I went over there one Friday night and rented it and watched it, and that was my first, you know, film. So I remember this was around the time I just got into middle school, and I was in sixth grade. This was around ninety five, and I just started hanging out with Venker. Shout out, Video Joe, Joe Venker. OG, and he was telling me about this movie because I had told him I had seen the third movie, and he, I guess, he had just seen this one, and was we were kind of comparing movies. I was like, "Well, in the Chainsaw Massacre, I saw this happens," and he was like, "It sounds familiar to what I saw." You know, it was a house with family in this one, so we went back to his house after school one afternoon and watched it on VHS in his room. That was my introduction to it. Just one random day around Halloween time in fall of 95 um, is when I saw this movie for the first time. So, <laughs> Actually, um, here, hearing your story real quick, shook something loose. So the first thing I ever saw of Texas Chainsaw actually was in the Mark Harmon Christie Alley movie, Summer School. I was watching that on TV and they had yes. they had the scene at the end because they did well um, in school and they got to watch it. You saw the chain, you saw mm -hmm. uh, Leatherface dance and everything like that. So that was actually the first scene I ever saw from the movie. Hearing you talk just made me think of that. Love that movie. Summer school. Yeah, definitely. Um, shout factor, uh, Scream Factory or no shout just put out a uh, Blu-ray uh, for the first time like two weeks ago so, oh, cool. so i gotta order that i gotta pick that up um and it's funny enough because the burbs of tom hanks has that bit with texas chainsaw massacre part two and he has that nightmare scene with that involves you know the, the neighbor with the, the chainsaw that he has so um you can throw that in there too for you know earliest memories of the chainsaw massacre because that was definitely a movie that i grew up watching was the burbs it was always on showtime <laughs> so, all right, story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. 
Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So look, I explained my phobia of chainsaws. And back in the day, after I saw this movie, I got to tell you, Corey, this, this, it's like the Blair Witch treatment. I I thought I I was sold on this being legit. You know, the opening scroll with the John Larroquette narration. Oh, yeah. And everything. I was, I, I, I bought into it. I thought it was real. Yeah, you know, this is pre-internet and all that. I, so I, I, you know, later on I found out, you know, the bits it was just inspired by, you know, and I remember even hearing like little wild rumors about like this. It, it was based off Ed Gein, but yeah, but there was also a, a serial killer in Wisconsin. That's where it was, where a guy had a chainsaw was killing random people and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but yeah, now knowing what I know now about, you know, the. Uh, the, the the truth behind the scenes, you know, this was just you know made up, just, you know, the stuff was inspired by Ed Gein, but you know, for the most part, this movie's just from the minds of Toby Hooper and Kim Hankel. Yeah. So not a true story, thought it was. So I legit thought that there was a guy running around with a chainsaw. So knowing that and knowing my fear of chainsaws in general, like after watching these movies at like. You know, at that age, I was like 11, 12 years old, you know. Needless to say, I was scared, <laughs> thinking that there was a legit guy who was going to get me one of these days with a chainsaw. Yeah. So. You're not the um, only one. I, I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest. I When I saw it, I thought it was real, too. I mean, like you said, this the internet was around, but it wasn't ubiquitous. Like, you got on the internet maybe It was school. around for people that could afford it, a.k.a. Yeah. rich folk. Rich folk or... Um, people at school, like when you were at school, which obviously you could yeah, only do certain yeah, things. So, right, right, right. And I was at that age, probably around your age when I saw it. I mean, I was in the movies and horror movies, but I had no idea how stuff worked. So I saw it and I was like, it's yeah. true. They're telling me it's true. So it must be true. It looks real to me. Like, so it must be, it must have really happened. Not thinking about like, why would there still be someone filming? Why would there be music if it was real? Uh, you know, like so many things that uh, once you get older and you actually use a little bit more logic or once you right. learn how movies are made, you know, obviously it's not real. Why would it be distributed <laughs> if it was real? Like, why would they be selling it? Exactly. So, but when you're a kid, you don't think about that, especially back then. Uh, nowadays, uh, everything's at your fingertips. So kids are all just naturally uh, can look up that stuff a lot easier. But back in the 70s, 80s, early 90s is I think a lot of people the first time they saw it when they were younger believed it was real. I think that's why this movie had so many problems. It's just it was just disturbing and I think whether people wanted to admit it or not, I, I think some people just thought it was real. Yeah, I mean, even a few countries outright banned it for the longest time. Yeah, which is ironic. I, th- I think it's still banned in two countries to this day. Yeah, which is ironic because so. there's really not much blood at all in this movie. No, I mean, we're definitely going to get into that later on. Uh, but for now, let's do our top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones. Track ones. 
Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. All right, top five Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, because why not? Celebrate the occasion. Today's a big day for the franchise. And let's talk our favorite five. Starting with my number five is the 2003 remake from Michael Bay. And uh, what is that? Marcus Nispel. That, is that the dude who uh, directed that movie? Um, same guy who directed the Friday the 13th remake. Also a Platinum Dunes film. And yeah, I wasn't mad at it. I actually... I saw it a couple times in the theater. We saw it together. Um, I thought, yeah. I was going to say you were definitely part of one of those screenings. You couldn't have been part of one of them because it was in Virginia Beach where I was living <laughs> at the time. Um, but yeah, anyway, the um, I thought there were things about the film that worked. I'm kind of glad I got you for this episode. No offense to Sean. Love you, brother. Can't wait to have you back. But I, he would just tear this into the 20, 2006 one just apart. He hates them both for reasons you got to ask him about. I know one of which he's really fucking anal about the uh, the fact they changed the name to Hewitt. You know, I get it. I can respect it. He's a lifelong fan. He's older than me, so he's had you know more years and memories built up uh, around that film or this film rather. So I, I can definitely get him uh, being bent out of shape about that but it, it shouldn't take him from the overall experience of the movie you know no. it should be a random nitpick it shouldn't be a fucking ban this movie from my viewing future or whatever you want to call it you know yeah um but yeah i i definitely like things about it still to this day uh enough to make it you know because you gotta think there's nine of these movies i believe nine so you know it's not like we're leaving one or two out. We're leaving half of them out almost. So, my number five, 2003's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. How about you? Um, so, my number five is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. And it's not... I didn't put oh. it on my list for the reasons you might think, but I just oh. I just think it's enjoyable to mock like in a room type way, like watching it in an ironic way just because the film is so inept and just so... Out there, I actually rewatched it a couple of times, just laughing at it. I mean, Matthew McConaughey, oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> I thought I could go an entire episode without having to talk about that fucking movie. <laughs> here you go, number five. Proceed. Anyway, you know, I think Matthew McConaughey probably had to ice his jaw because he was like chewing the scenery so much in that movie. Like he was just going all out. <laughs> like I will never. I and I think when I'm like old and decrepit and losing my mind to Alzheimer's, I will still remember Matthew McConaughey playing with that fucking robotic knee or leg or whatever it is <laughs> and just like screaming. And then I will never forget uh, Renee Zellweger just like yelling at the family and just leaving because that fucking makes now a lot of sense. you set the fuck down. <laughs> like that's all you had to do is just be stern and you'd be fine, apparently. And then just the plane coming down and killing Matthew McConaughey. I, none of it makes any fucking sense to me. 
uh as a horror movie it fails terribly but as like a 90s time capsule of just terrible sequels and just weird shit it's entertaining to watch for me at least just a mock um I do like the sound effect that he makes when he jumps out the window onto the truck at the end of that movie. But kind of, he's like, pew, <laughs> or something like that. Um, all right, so my number four, a film I previously mentioned about five, ten minutes ago, Leatherface, Texas Chancellor Massacre 3. My introduction to Viggo Mortensen, um, uh, Ken Forey. I was going to say, I mean, Forey just, stands out to me. I mean, come on, man. Forey's just awesome in that movie as Billy. Um, speaking of Billy, William Butler's in that movie. Kate Hodge. Uh, the deputy from the original Elm Street. Um, the little girl who played the young Tina in Friday at 13th Part 7. I uh, think that's it. That I can name off the top of my head. Oh, and uh, Tom Everett, who plays the uh, the, the crazy gas station attendant. But anyway, um, now that I'm done name dropping actors from that movie, um, <laughs> that that movie's awesome. I, I think it's. Uh, um, I'm not just saying that because it was my first film or my my yeah my first Chainsaw Massacre film. Um, no, I I just watched it as recently as last Halloween season. I watched it and still enjoyed it. That movie does not upset me or anger me or piss me off like it does to some horror fans. I rather enjoy, you know, the soundtrack. I mean, yeah, it's not perfect. There's things about the film that don't work, but, you know, for the most part, I really like the movie. And therefore, it is my number four. How about you? Um, So my number four is one of the newer films, uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D. Um, I acknowledge it's not a great movie, but it feels like it was made by Chainsaw fans. Like it feels like they're trying to do something uh, to make it a direct sequel to the original. Uh, It feels like they were really trying to respect it. And, you know, I love the 3D. I actually went and saw it in theaters in 3D because I just didn't have anything else to do around that time. Um, So I think it was me and Smith. Shout out uh, Smitty. Uh, We went and saw it. And I remember I had a good time. I mean, I, honestly, my biggest complaint with that movie was just the gap in time just didn't make any sense for what they were going for because it was like set in modern times. But yet, uh, like so, the actors, and I know it was like studio interference, but w- watching it at the time, I'm like, okay, either this chick's got to be like fucking 50 or <laughs> this guy shouldn't have a smartphone, yeah, like well, one or the other. Exactly. Um, I, I'm saying exactly one year ago because it just popped up in my um, timeline uh, just like a day or two ago. So last year I met um, virtually, might I add, uh, the director, or not the writer, the, the not the director, the writer of that movie, or one of the writers, um, Adam Marcus, who also directed Jason Goes to Hell. And I asked him, you know, we at, the, the event was for... Um, it was me and a handful of other people for uh shout out Jonathan, my buddy, Crazy Train Radio. He was uh the one who put it all together. A Zoom watch along of Jason Goes to Hell with um Adam Marcus. And afterward was a Q and A and I asked him, 
everyone's asking these Jason questions and Friday questions and production questions and Sean S. Cunningham questions. And I'm like, so let's talk Texas Chainsaw 2013. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I got to find, I got to know what's up with that script, man. I got to know what's up with the whole time thing because there's no way in hell that Alexandra Daddario is like, Four, you're trying to pass her off as like 40, 45 years old in that movie when we all know damn well she's like half that age. And he's like, yeah, in my script, it takes place in 1994. Whereas Which would make the sense. studio, <laughs> yeah. And it would if, the, if they didn't have that cop with the iPhone. And that is basically what he told me was that the studio added that and pretty much effed things up and you know it was one of those things where the execs were like oh the fans don't care about continuity it's like the fuck we don't <laughs> because you really took that from being a C movie to like a D plus movie with yeah. that I mean it is some it definitely changed shit about that movie it, it, it reeked and of interference it, it, yeah. and, it, it, and it raised more questions than answers and it just fucking you, you done took a shit on something that had some potential yeah and I, yeah, had a, and and I went back and watched it, and I'm like, yeah, definitely. If it's not for this goddamn cop scene, then this film would work, and it could be '94. Because outside of that scene, the movie's smart. I think Adam, I say it like he directed it. I forgot uh, the guy who directed. Um, I forgot one of them. Fucking, I don't know. He directed something. I forgot what it was. I'm having a brain fart. The, <laughs> the director that. of something. Anyway. The director of one of those movies, uh, Takers, I think that's the one, he, the, the one he directed that came out in like, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago. Anyway, it's totally irrelevant to what I'm talking about. It's ultimately up to him, but I think what happened was it was deliberately, deliberately imposed the, the dates or, you know, there's a tombstone where there's like a something i can't remember what it is but you don't see that you see the date but you're missing the year because something covers it up like a bush or something like that there's a scene towards the end where she's like being held at the police station and she sees like a bunch of news clippings from the papers that have like you know reports on the incident from the 70s but then when again the think that the year is actually like kind of blurred out you know in, in that scene so they, they don't because they're trying to draw a fine line between just you know what I'm talking about, what I'm getting at here so now that I just spent like fucking five minutes talking about Chainsaw 3D and it's fucking timeline I just want to put that out there so people who didn't know the story now know you know yeah that it came from the director's mouth. Oh, the writer. I did it again. The writer's mouth. Yeah, it reeked of interference. And I'm not normally the person that's like really ticky tacky with like continuity and stuff. If the film is good, I don't really care. But when it's that egregious of like you have this young actress who you're telling me is this girl from, you know, that was a little baby in the 70s. And then now she's like maybe in her late twenties, but then you got a guy pulling out an iPhone. Like it's just, it's unnoticeable. Like you can't miss it. Like you can't not think about it's that. It's unforgettable. Like, what it is. Like the movie is so seventies. The original Chainsaw is like 
without knowing when it was made, you can watch that and tell around when it was made. So but, it's not like I'm I'm just a nerd that knows it was made in '74. Everybody knows it was made around that time. So if you're you can't have but because they added but because they added that fucking iPhone scene, what they ultimately did, Corey, was try to make it off or play it off like the events of this movie that we're about to talk about took place in the '90s. Essentially, they're trying to bump up 20 years and trying to play it off like it took place, you know, not so much before. Because obviously, I don't think they're trying to hide the fact that Heather's like, you know, not this age, but she's this age. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they're pretty clear that she is, you know, 27, 28, or whatever she is in that movie. She's got the young boyfriend played by Trey Songs, whatever his name is. You know, she's got her other young friends. They're all working at the fucking grocery store and the meat department and shit, you know, because, you know, slaughterhouse, get it? So, <laughs> yeah, that's my ramble on Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yeah. Um, we spent too much time on it, but it's actually, if you can ignore that whole thing, it's actually pretty fun like if you're a fan of these type of movies or other franchise it's a sequel that was better than i thought it it was going to be to be honest with you i mean i had low expectations because it was dropped in january but <laughs> it, it exceeded my expectations you know for anybody who knows january dumping ground but i thought it was fun enough especially in 3d which obviously i know you can't replicate but uh it was fun yeah all right so my number Three? We're at that now? Three? So we're... Uh, yeah. So we're number three. Um, let's just do rapid fire, the rapid fire the rest of these. Number three for me is Texas Chainsaw The Beginning. Um, yeah. It's uh, kind of surprised that this is so high on the list or even on my list at all, I know. But I just want to put it out there that this movie, I haven't watched it recently. The unrated version, that is. This movie is pretty fucking awesome, you know. So don't want to throw that out there. Is that the there. 2006 one? Yeah. Is that the one you're talking about, yep. Arlie or me? Yeah. Okay. Just want to throw yeah. that out there. All right. How about you? Uh, well, I'm kind of cheating, so I put two of my number three, but uh, both the remakes, the 03 and the 06. Okay. I like both of That's them. That's fine. I, I think they're both effective. Yeah, I, I, I think they're both effective. I think it does what a remake is supposed to do. It updates it for a new audience. It keeps a lot of the things intact. Uh, I I watched it. I thought I, I mean, I thought it was good. I had fun with it. I wasn't, I wasn't mad at I, it. It was 30 years later for a new audience, and it was pretty well done, pretty slick. Like that whole hitchhiker scene at the beginning was like some really slick camera work. I mean, that always sticks out to me. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love watching behind the scenes of how they did it too. It's so awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Chainsaw Massacre, the the beginning. Um, I was about to say something about it, but brutal. I forgot. Yeah, definitely is a brutal movie. Um, yeah, Arlie Army's awesome too. He's great in anything, so it was cool seeing him. Yeah. Oh yeah, I wanted to. Uh, Props to the filmmakers for having the balls to uh, kill it all to kill off Jordana Brewster in that movie too. So my number two is Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. But of course, how about you? 
so my number two is this film, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre 74, a uh, classic and icon, and it's awesome. It's my number one, so I guess that, that makes number two your number one. Yeah, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is my number nice. one. Uh, it's the one I've seen the most by far. Uh, it's just so fun. Chop Top is my favorite character out of the series. I know a lot of people would pick Leatherface. Love me some Bill Mosley's Chop Top. Uh, I can't get enough of uh, Chop Top in that film. And I just like, it's such a pivot. Like, it's just, you know, Toby Hooper's like, oh, well, I'm not going to top the original, so we'll just do something different. You know, just the Breakfast Club uh, cover is just awesome. Like, I think it was just a great way to take it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know it might be jarring for some people, but it's just fun. I've seen that one the most out of any of them. So if I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, which one have I watched the most? That one. So it's got to be my number one. Yeah. And the the soundtrack to that movie, too, is fucking awesome. Just want to throw that out there. All right, then let's dive into this movie, shall we? Let's talk about the original 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Here we go! The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths In particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right, so after the familiar opening and narration from John Larroquette, we get an on-screen date telling us that it's August 18, 1973. Now let's backpedal real quick and talk about this John Larroquette narration because it's pretty iconic. Um, this is pretty much uh, a trend that started after this movie. A lot of horror films started doing this. The old opening scroll. Um, what do you think of it? Obviously, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Our younger selves believed we bought into it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, A, dig it. And B, thought it was a missed opportunity. He didn't come back for the second one. Yeah, he just has a very uh, distinct voice. Uh, like it, I can always remember his voice. It always stands out to me. And I agree. I think it adds uh, just credibility to it that you got like this um, like baritone narration at the beginning with the scroll. Uh, you know, it, it just it adds to it. and It's iconic. I mean, I've heard it like parried it in different places. Like it's just a part of the movie. Like I can always just hear it in my head, even if uh, I don't remember the exact words. But uh, that's just one part of the film that's always stuck with me. When you think John Cat, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, I mean, for me, it's this, but... Uh, outside you know, of, sure outside of this, what are you thinking? I don't know. To be honest with you, nothing really... I mean, unless I'm like not thinking of something, this is really the only thing I think of when I think of... I would have picked you as a Richie Rich fan. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I've seen Richie Rich. I wouldn't necessarily say uh, I'm a huge fan, but <laughs> Richie Rich. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. For me, it's Night Court. That was probably my first, I don't know, four way into his uh, career at a young age. Um, now, either that or Stripes. You know, it's not like he had like the most explosive career, uh, but I feel like the ones that he did, he made it count. He was also in a very. Oh, that's right. He was also in the Twilight Zone movie. But also, he was in that Kirstie Alley movie, um, fucking uh, Madhouse, in uh, the early 90s. And also, he was an uncredited uh, actor slash zombie killer thing in the uh, opening prologue to uh, Demon Knight, if you recall, Texas, from uh, Tales from the Crypt. I missed a Texas Chainsaw huh. Massacre. Both T's. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt, uh, Demon Knight. He was the, the guy. Kirky was like, you call that acting? He's like, as a matter of fact, it was acting. So, yeah. Yeah, I I never watched Night Court, so I guess maybe that's why uh, it doesn't really come to mind for much else for me, because that's just one show I just never watched, just for whatever reason. I just never saw reruns of it, really. I just never watched it. It was always on NBC when I was growing up. Um, I just remember watching, uh, especially... Uh, like when I was like six or seven years old, uh, towards the tail end of the season, uh, it got picked up at syndication, and it was always on TV. I, f- I felt, you know, as a child, a lot of the episodes. Not that I recall the events of the episodes. I didn't like watch it like that. It was just always on. So that's you know, Night Court definitely comes to mind. Him, Richard Mole, and uh, uh, Christ, uh, Harry, yeah, Harry Anderson. A lot of people in that show. So, back to the movie. So, we get uh, nothing but blackness, but we hear the sound of hacking and scraping with the occasional camera flashes showing rotten bone and remains that'll straight up give you chills for days. It's like, no music, just background sounds that sound like audio from like a, a deep hallway or something, along with like the radio detailed reports of the local grave robbing going on. And then you get that pew every time you get the flash of the camera, so and you see like the remains of the bones and stuff like that. It's like it's a gross opening, uh, but you know it's really uh, kind of foreshadowing the kind of movie you're about to get into. And yeah, that the flash noise, I never, I never knew what that was when I was younger. I mean, it was like a good noise and it was like kind of disturbing sounding, but I didn't know what it was when I was younger. I was like, what is that <laughs> when you hear it? it for our audience? What is that? Uh, oh, it's, um, it's like the old school cameras. They would have these huge flash bulbs and it would make a noise when they would shoot the camera and it would flash. Yeah from the bulb like that's what it is but i didn't know that when i was a kid uh, you know i didn't grow up with cameras right, like that of course not why would you uh you know so and then you know the camera pulls back and we get our first main clips of the film the badly decomposed body of a man propped up on a monument with wire along with a skull or like the chest area now what i noticed why i said at this time is as it's pulling back <laughs> i noticed the same thing the Radio is detailing the visual as the the camera is slowly pulling back over the the this grisly image, and then just this shot of this thing with the dirt blowing around, 
the like all set with this appropriate orange filter that details the heat over a hot summer Texas day. It's eerily fucking creepy yet mesmerizing at the same time. It's like what a fucking banger. Banging ass way to, you know, kick off your big horror movie. Like it's effective, man. It really is. This 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 opening oh, man. And then we get the credits set to like the audio of the radio reporting the news with the flickering back with the, with the flickering back in red, black and red negative shots that ends up, you know, on a shot of the moon over the credits during this. And then we get the dead armadillo. And then one thing I definitely noticed, well, I picked up on a few things that I really never noticed before. This was the second thing I noticed. Get the dead armadillo after the credits. And then as the van that the the film's victims essentially are in, as it pulls up, as it pulls over, and we see Kirk pushing Franklin out to the field so we can take a piss, that fucking news report is still going i never realized it never stops dude it literally starts over the opening credits i mean before the credits over the opening like blackness and and shit and then like it plays still over the credits and then it's playing over the shot of the armadillo and then it's playing as you fucking see kurt letting franklin out the piss because franklin's in a wheelchair of course he's a paraplegic and i'm just like wow like, Hooper, like, just doesn't cut away from this news report at all. Like, it is still going. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it makes it, it... I was just gonna say, it just makes it feel, like, more real, I guess. Like, we're just in this world, like, you're getting news. And I know the news was, like, a big, uh, you know, influence for this film. Just the way, like, the grisly coverage of certain things were influenced Toby Hooper. Uh, so I guess that's why he had, you know, the news mm-hmm. is such a, like a pivotal part in the beginning of the film. So we have our five teens, we'll call them for this movie. Uh, Sally Hardesty <laughs> and her brother Franklin, who was in the wheelchair. Kirk, who brought him out. And her, uh, his girlfriend Pam. And then Jerry, who is Sally's boyfriend. So we got two couples and just lonely Franklin in the wheelchair who still don't know to this day why he's on this trip, why he's with them. They try to tell us why. <laughs> they try to make it, you know, they try to play it off like Sally, like bait him to come. And I'm just like, I'm not quite buying into that. Why are you here, Franklin? Nah. Why the fuck are you here? <laughs> um, nah, he's a he's a, definitely a fifth wheel. And I mean... He's a fifth wheel and a fucking annoying. annoying. Exactly, he's an annoying wheel. Is what he yeah. is. Um, bravo to fucking Paul Partain. But yeah. Marilyn Burns, God rest her soul, plays Sally. Uh, Sean and I had the uh, distinct pleasure of having just just one on one encounters and moments with her at a specific convention back in twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen um, at Mastermania. Uh, the one here in Hunt Valley, she was, you know, we ran into her a handful of times, and then at the end of the night, we were all outside in the front of the uh, hotel, uh, have you know, smoking a cigarette before we made our last round before we're going home for the night, and she was out there with us, and like, 
we talked for like a solid 15, 20 minutes. I mean, I know I ran through like two or three cigarettes just listening to the woman talk. She had a lot of stories. She was so amazing, down to earth, was willing to talk to anyone who wanted to listen to her. And she wasn't like out there. She didn't like tell annoying stories. Like she was like willing to talk about like her experience on this movie set like 40 years ago. You know, she was so cool. You know, she didn't have, I'm sure she's told these stories hundreds, if not thousands of times over the years. But you could just tell she just was just thrilled. It was, you know, a thousand times to her, but it was a first for us, you know, and she was just one of those people. She was so cool. So, uh, here she is here, Sally. Uh, now, this would be, uh, this was uh, not her first role, but one of her first roles. She was in a film this also, this year as well called Love and Molly. And then she had an uncredited role in 1970, uh, Brewster McCloud. Now, both those two movies that were I just mentioned prior to this, she went uncredited which I guess would technically give this the first on-screen credit. So I'm assuming, I'm not exactly 100% sure of how the uh, the Guild works, uh, but I believe that's enough to, to warrant an introduction credit. Uh, kind of similarly to the way Paul Rudd got the introduction credit for Halloween Crystal Michael Myers, even though Clueless came out first, he filmed Halloween first. Um, I just realized saying that out loud, it's really not the same situation at all, but still, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and the, the only, she was in Helter Skelter, she came back for another Toby Hooper movie a few years later called Eaten Alive about killer crocodiles, and, uh, yeah, didn't really do much, I know she popped up in a very small role as I'm assuming she's portraying Sally again in Next Generation. Is that what I'm led to believe based off that, you know, final moment in the hospital as that movie comes to an end with her and I know Paul Bartain, who plays Franklin, is also in the film. They're both in the hospital. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's what I took it as. And then she came back in 2013's Chainsaw 3D as uh, Verna Carson. She was supposed to be the, I guess they they for that film they gave a they gave the family a mother that wasn't nowhere to be seen in this movie. But yeah, she was in that. <clears throat> so anyway, the um. So back to the film. This passing truck goes by and it honks, and then some. <laughs> either some dirt or sand or debris or whatever flies out causes Kirk to shield himself and let's go with Franklin so Franklin goes rolling downhill um, and then the van we go to this cemetery that they're going to so Sally can make sure that nothing's happened to her dad's grave um, so I want to call attention to this drunk that's rolling around in the grass talking about being the old man, like... Been in there the whole time, Uh, things happen here about, they don't tell about. <laughs> I, I see things. <laughs> you see, they say it's just an old man. 
talking. You laugh at an old man. <laughs> There's them that laughs and knows better. <laughs> I I forgot about that dude. I I rewatching this. I was like, what the fuck is going on with that guy? <laughs> I completely didn't even remember him until I rewatched it. I love the fucking episode. look on Franklin's face, like this weird look, like he's creeped out, and he kind of rolls himself back into the van, like, okay. <laughs> he's like, I know. He's like, I'm going home now. Bye. I mean, I get it. It's it's Hooper, obviously trying to drive the insanity theme home, but like, I, I don't know. It's something I never really paid attention to growing up, but like now that I'm older and like focus more on things like that in movies, like I just it's so out yeah. there. But I get it. It's just it's just an odd scene in general. Uh, rewatching it now because I know you know they're they're having issues with um, you know grave robbing and stuff, but it's just odd to like see like it's like almost like a like a get together. Or something oh, dude, at so a cemetery. It's so bizarre. I don't know. It's just odd. I'm glad you brought that up. It's so bizarre. Yeah. They get there and like, it's like people are like parked on the side of the road, like they're walking the fucking Woodstock or something. Like, it's crazy. There's a lot of people there. It's like a festival. I kind of got like Blair Witch Two vibes in the beginning when they go through Blair Witch uh, Burkittsville and like you see all the, uh, the 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 people selling like ornaments and stuff like that. It kind of reminds me of that. Like there's just people like not selling stuff but like this is like an event it's kind of like a like a fair at the, at the graveyard it's weird um so they pass the slaughterhouse franklin takes the time to describe to everyone what happens inside the slaughterhouse in grave detail uh and then after that they pick up the hitchhiker pick him up <laughs> it's a hitchhiker what do you want to do pick him up so franklin immediately tells everyone that they just picked up dracula <laughs> And I got to chuckle out of this because we, after he makes that comment, we get that the, they they showed the hitchhiker, um, Edwin Neal, and it's funny as shit because like he's got this like long greasy hair and this goofball look on his face. And I just <laughs> I gotta laugh after watching it. So the hitchhiker and Franklin like they soon start bonding together over the topic of slaughterhouse practices. <laughs> um. Yeah. Can I just pitch a new show right now? Like it's it it's it's starring the hitchhiker and Franklin and we're gonna call it the squeal and the wheel. Like each week features a different <laughs> slaughterhouse situation and by the end of each episode Franklin will sit in front of the camera and go all Danny Tanner on us when everything that we learned from the episode and then Jerry Springer final <laughs> thought. Like I'm sure that would be some sort of interest to, to someone out there. Like I know I'd buy I, I oh, would buy Lord. that shit up. I'm telling you right now, man. The squeal with yeah. the wheel, starring Franklin and the Hitchhiker. I would watch that. I'd like to imagine Franklin getting a job at um, a um, God. Why am I blanking? Like a Purdue factory at a uh, uh, at a meat processing uh, plant, right. and I could just imagine him getting a job and having like you know they put the booties on their feet, but like <laughs> since booties. he's in a wheelchair, he just has the giant booties <laughs> on his fucking wheels. That's just what I'm thinking of because he's like so interested in like the meat processing stuff. Um, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw this out here too. I don't know why I started thinking about it when I saw the hitchhiker in this film because always I've seen the film several times, but rewatching it now, why am I thinking it's like James Franco, like redneck James Franco hit with a shovel? 
Like, that's just what he reminds me of a little bit. Like, he just has, I don't know why. I don't know if anybody else would agree with me. He just kind of reminds me a little bit of James Franco just rewatching this. Like, um, oh, Christ, what's that movie? Um, like, Homefront James Franco? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but hit with a shovel or something. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, there you go. Um, so the uh, hitchhiker pulls out a knife and he randomly starts slicing his palm and then laughing. And Edwin Neal was born to play this crazy bastard, I swear. He does it so convincingly <laughs> and just nails all of his facial expressions. He takes a picture of the group, which seems to freak Franklin out the most. He's like, you just took my picture. <laughs> I laughed again at I know, that. He- I-, I don't know why. I found a lot more like material like funny watching it this time like it, it all involved franklin and his reactions to this shit like i was just focusing more it on is him. an odd thing it is yeah he's like took my he's picture just, like his reaction he's just like calm and collective he's like you just took my picture <laughs> like you son of a bitch yeah i thought it was funny too. and then charges them two bucks <laughs> That's a good picture. Two bucks. Got you bastards <laughs> off guard. Like, now, now pay me my two bucks. Now, uh, and I'm just saying, you just saw this man cut himself. Like, I'd pay him the fucking two dollars with no matter know, what he like, handed just, me. He could hand me like a piece of cardboard. I would give him two dollars at that point. Like that dude just cut his hand open. Just fucking pay him two bucks. Who cares? Um, Yeah, so he takes a picture and when they won't pay and he rips it. He doesn't rip it, but he puts it on tin foil and gunpowder and causes a panic when he pulls out his razor and freaks everyone out after he sets it on fire and then he starts he cuts Franklin's arm with the with the razor and he gets kicked out for that. It's like oh you done cut Franklin now you gotta get kicked out. So the hitchhiker marks their van with his blood and then so and then blows raspberries at them. Kicking it, banging it yeah. and blowing raspberries, I'm like this seems to be a theme coming up. So they go to this gas station, a golf gas station, no less. Or they stop for gas, or at least until later in the afternoon or early tomorrow morning, because the cook, Jim Seedow, comes out, and he ain't got no gas. He's waiting for them to come in with more, and he tells them it's like, 
Might be later on this afternoon. Might be tomorrow morning. But we got world-class barbecue inside. I'll get you guys some right now. And I want to know why we never see or hear from this window washer with the large forehead again. Like, this dude just <laughs> shows up with his watermelon head, washes their windows, and then pieces out. We never see this motherfucker once more. Never hear about him. Yeah. I never even caught the guy's name. He's just there. No, you never see you never see him again. And the funny part is rewatching, I noticed it like when the cook keeps walking, like he walks over, talks to him, the window washer's washing. Then the cook walks away, the window washer's walking away. But then when the cook goes back to say something else, the window washer comes back, starts washing the front of their so kind of like mimicking the van. So he's just like keeps walking back and forth. Like if you watch it again and pay attention, it's huh. just so fucking funny because he's like stops what like as soon as the cook stops talking to him he's like oh i'm done he's like my and he goes to sit back down right and then as soon as he goes back he starts washing and just next time anybody watches it just watch that part i was laughing my ass <laughs> off because he probably just told this guy that just when i'm talking to him you get out there and wash that fucking car <laughs> and once i'm done you get your ass back over there that's right ain't no no more wasting no water so Franklin asks the cook if he knows where the old Franklin place is. And he says that he does, but he doesn't want to tell him. Saying some folks might not like a bunch of kids wandering around. So then we see Pam and Sally getting a soda. It's hot. Why not? And I beg the question, why do 70s Coke machines look so much more expensive and detailed than the plain Janes of today? Just... Yeah. The machines back then were so much more cooler, and some even did some cool shit, like had bottle openers and stuff today. Nope. You just got a box with a little logo on the front. You hit a button, your can comes out. Then you got these cool little glass bottles. You know, it was cooler, you know. I guess it was a lot more expensive, too. I can imagine these machines, you know, probably cost more. Uh, But still. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I I, I get it. I, I get the why, but... I still want to know why, <laughs> you know. Um, so the teens don't even notice the hitchhiker's bloody marking until they're heading out to the Franklin house. Like they're, in, they're intending to swing back by to get some gas on the way home. That's their plan. They don't feel like waiting. So let's talk about the heat for a second because kind of like what Justin and I talked about in our Do the Right Thing episode two weeks back, the heat sort of acts like a character in this movie. It definitely it's like kind of mentioned it before in the cinematography uh, with the filter, but like you hear the fucking behind the scenes stories. That's one thing, but like just the way it plays off in this movie, like you sense it, you f- you almost feel it too. Like just watching it, like it's yeah. one of those things where you just see everyone just and what they go through. And like you and I, who are like hardcore movie nerds, so like we know like the behind the scenes stories. And how the heat, you know, played a part in that. And it's just... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it was hot, like, for real, but even... 100 plus. Yeah, even when I... Yeah, even when I uh, watched this prior to having any knowledge about that, you're... Like you said, you still feel it. Yeah, Everybody's sweaty. It just... Like, you can feel it while watching the movie. You can smell it, like, when they're around, like, the gas station and then the old house and then, uh, obviously... 
uh in the sawyer's house like with the meat like you can just smell everything like uh, at least for me i can oh, always dude, just no joke, feel no, it and no smell joke, it like it's no just joke. props props to fucking daniel yeah. pearl daniel pearl dop man he fucking nails it that's such a great job i guess now's a good segue into talking about him because like i said daniel pearl cinematography or cinematographer rather for this movie does stand-up job uh, he takes with what little budget he had. Hell, the fucking guy only had forty feet of track for his goddamn camera. So like, there were scenes where they were shooting that they had to go and they had to take it apart and reconnect it in front of him so he could keep going because he only had forty feet of track. And some of these shots required, you know, obviously more than that. So they had to like get, you know, smart little aha behind the camera, and it worked. And he was his work on this film was so effective and so, you know, inspiring, they actually brought him back to shoot the remake 30 years later. Did you know that? Yeah, I knew he worked on that. Uh, and he's, he's worked on a couple other films, but yeah, it was just funny how he did this one and then the remake. And I think it translates. I, I think that adds a little something to the remake, having him back. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he shot... I mean, the man shot hundreds of just commercials, videos, movies, you know, Chainsaw Massacre in the remake. He did uh, AVP Requiem, which I really should have name-dropped that because the, 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 that movie's dark. That movie's really dark. A little bit too dark, actually. Uh, but he did the uh, Friday the 13th remake, which... I liked it. I like uh, you know, one of these days we'll eventually get to talk about getting we'll get to talk about that movie and, you know, the other ones. But uh you know, as far as his cinematography goes, it was a little dark, but it wasn't A V P or Requiem dark and it was dark for a good goddamn reason where it worked because it's a dark movie in the woods, so you're gonna get that shit. But, you know, getting back on track here, uh and, and the the fact that it takes place, you know, both the movie itself and the the the, the, the shoot, in you know the early to mid seventies, and it's just so long ago, you know, that's craft. You know, it's something that you know he just perfected and just inspired so many other you know people, it's just with his low angles. And you know his uh the the his choosings of the correct filters, and the way he just gets these really great close up. Like he really knows how to just pull in and pull away, or push in and pull away with the camera. He does some really good stuff throughout throughout this whole movie that I just I've always noticed. But like I specifically watched, you know, I wanted to look for key things watching this you know, viewing for this episode. And one of those key things was, you know, Daniel Pearl's, just the way he shot this movie, you know, just, I really wanted to get a detailed look at it and open up my eyes to a lot. So hats off to him, man, seriously. Um, The kids arrived at a house and 
Franklin is gnawing on the thickest, most disgusting piece of beef jerky I've ever seen in my entire life. It's <laughs> seriously, it looks like he's got an uncooked piece of sausage dangling from that fucking mouth of his. It's, it, it's, it's I gross, can't yeah. look away from it. It's just right there all up in your face watching this scene. It's just like he's right there front and center of the camera gnawing on this thing. I'm like, I, he comes out of the van and I'm like, is that a fucking hot dog in his mouth? And I'm like, no, because it's pushed down the inside where he's when where it's in his mouth. And I'm like, ew, it's fucking jerky he's eating. That's disgusting. So it looks like sausage that's uncooked. It's just yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, and, and Jerry stumbles onto the biggest ball of daddy long legs in the corner of one of the rooms. Is it Jerry or is oh, it yeah. Kirk? Which one is it, Jerry or Kirk? Uh. I thought it was okay, Kirk, Kirk, but I could. No, be it wrong. probably is Kirk. Um, and yeah, it, it it it's it. This shit gives me honest the honest creeps. I you know I hate chainsaws, but I fucking hate spiders. And like, I know it's Daddy Long Legs, but there's something about them all being together in that big ball in the corner. <laughs> and, They're the loudest ones too, because you hear like the little pit a patter yeah. of their. Legs, yep. which obviously in real life you wouldn't hear, but uh, no, you know it adds to the movie. But they're the loudest, Daddy Long Legs, because uh, you hear that. And poor Franklin, like everyone else, is having a good time with their significant others, while Franklin is struggling just to get into their fucking property more. And what the fuck is up with Franklin's obsession with blowing raspberries? Like this homicidal best friend, the hitchhiker, like he does it way too much, and every time he does, it's like. Boy, put that fucking tongue back in your mouth. It's fucking disgusting. <laughs> so Pam and Kirk decide to go for a swim over at the nearby swimming hole that uh, Franklin was talking about. Only it's all dried up and it's even had time to grow grass since Franklin supposedly last saw it. Like he's the reason they go searching for it after all and they get there and it's all just nothing it's a fucking hill it's literally a grassy hill with dried up grass and dirt <laughs> so they get there with their towels only to be way let down uh but fear not because they hear a loud generator from afar it's running and they go and check it out they think they could possibly find some gas and they can get some of it by letting whoever owns the gas Take his guitar. <laughs> that's what he, <laughs> know, what he fucking a, says. A well, thing. I'll, let him, I'll give him my guitar if we get some gas. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, real quick before we move on, I just want to bring up something that I just thought of rewatching this. So if the if the Sawyer's house is this close to the Franklin house, like, wouldn't they know each other? Like, what if you live there as a kid? Like, wouldn't you know your neighbors somewhat? I, I just find it odd that like their old childhood house is so close to the Sawyer house and like they have just no knowledge of it. And then there's just crazy people living there. Don't you find that odd too? I don't think it's their childhood house. Is it? I I, I thought it was their grandparents' house. Oh, maybe, maybe. I I'm pretty certain that they're going to see their grandparents' house because it's their grandfather's grave that they go check out. Okay, maybe I misunderstood uh, that then. I thought they used to live there because I thought, like, the Sally was, like, talking about, like, uh, you know, I used to 
do this in that room, but maybe they just visited then. Maybe that's what it is. Or wait, no. It is her dad's grave that you... Hang on a second. I mean, I just see it here written out as the old Hardesty family homestead. So I guess you can take that for what it is. Um, You got a valid point, but on the other hand, I guess you could argue how long have they been there for? Has this, you know, crazy family been here their entire lives? Or is this just a house that they just claimed as theirs after X amount of time? You know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't yeah, really it definitely know. could be yeah, that. Like we don't really know, like, the the thick of the story. I mean, for one, it fucking changes depending on what movie you're watching. That's, that's, that's one reason, but another is just, I don't know. Um, but you got a valid point. I, I'm not, you know, deducing anything you just said whatsoever. So, Kurt goes inside of the house while Pam sits on the swing outside or out front, rather, in the front yard. And Kurt starts hearing some pig sounds from the back room and he goes and runs and he trips. And turns out we get Leatherface, our first glimpse of the crazy bastard. And it's that cool ass shot. You see it looking from the it pans up. He's got the fucking hammer jacked up over his head and just swings down. Boom! Kirk is down for the count. Takes his quivering body and pulls it in. And then you get that badass slotty metal door slammed shut. And yeah, it's just such an iconic scene, and it's done really well. Just the thud uh, sound that you hear when the hammer hits his head and just the sound the, the way sound design, uh, it's awesome yeah and the way kirk just like shakes there yeah. like it just looks real like because that's what would happen if you had brain right? trauma exactly. like that like that your body would just shake so it just seems so real uh so well done it's not done like in a dramatic way like it's done in like a way i would imagine would happen like right. if somebody actually did that right. and then we go from one famous shot to another that famous ass shot seen all around the world back in 1974 <laughs> with Pam getting up and walking up to the front of the house and up to the front porch. And, of course, Daniel Pearl's got the camera panned down from underneath. And it's not like an upskirt look, like, kind of you like that, but it's like, it's it's a, it's a right there, ass-in-your-face shot as she's walking up to the house. This was a big thing. This was a shot that got recreated a lot, especially in the genre. Uh, most famously in the remake, he recreated his own shot with Jessica Biel. Um, and she's walking up to the, the, that house in the remake. Dude, that fucking house in the remake is badass, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Because this one looks like a normal house. Like, in the remake, it's a, that's a whole different ball game in that oh, movie. Oh, definitely. And you know the funny thing is? Both the houses were real houses. So, the house from the remake, we'll start with that one, because that's what drove us to this conversation real quick, this off-topic. The house is real. It's famous for having the, the long driveway with the fucking, it's blocked off, it says, do not trespass. Uh, from what I hear from a lot of people that do location scoutings, videos on YouTube and shit, that, that the owner of that house don't fuck around. It's in Texas. They got guns, they got laws that protect them, and you know what I'm getting at. So, um, and then the house from this was real, and now 
it still is up, even though they moved it. Kind of like the uh, the Myers house from Halloween. This got moved, uh, I think, to a different town, if I'm not mistaken. But now it's a restaurant. <clears throat> Did you know that? I didn't know it was a restaurant. I, I knew it still existed, but I didn't know it was a restaurant now. Yeah, it's a restaurant. I mean, and you the, know. Uh, the, the Myers house. Is it vegetarian? <laughs> Is it like a vegan restaurant? <laughs> That's funny. Um, kinda, I, I know, know the house in um, the remake. I mean, in, in, I'm sorry, not the remake. The house in Halloween. Uh, it's in South Pasadena. It's now on a busy street. Where uh, I believe they sell insurance. It's a business. Um, hmm. I'm trying to get some. Hang on a second. I'm trying to see real quick. The house. Yeah, it got restored as a restaurant. I was right. Okay, so moving right along. Uh, Pam encounters. Well, she stumbles into the house, goes into the living room, a.k.a.'s penis nightmares, and what the fuck is up with that chicken in the birdcage? That's my question. I've never got that. <laughs> so, the way she stares at it, you would think it's like this horrifying thing. I'm like, it's just a chicken. I mean, it's fucking weird, well, dude, but it's like, like, the way she's staring at it. bones and everything all over the place. Fucking chair made out of fucking bones and, and, like, and, and fur. You know, we're talking animal flesh and bones here. Some of them animals, some of them human. And I'm I'm sure that smell has got to be god awful, both both in real life and in the movie. And you know, it's everything. It's just disgusting. It's like a horror. And she's obviously sick by because she throws up. And. She runs, and as she runs out of the room into the main hallway, that fucking metal door slides back open, and out comes Leatherface, and he chases her out the house onto the porch, and he pulls her back in, grabs her, pulls her in, into the room, I mean, into the back room, kitchen area, whatever, hangs her on that fucking hook. Ooh, and still to this day oh, yeah. when I watch it, I squirm because that's I can only imagine how that feels. Oh yeah, oh. and there's a Mandela effect there. I think a lot of people have that with this movie. Always in my head for a long time, I thought you actually saw like a a behind shot where you would see the hook go in. Oh no, no, like not in this. And but it's not like that. And I think this film is just so effective. It pulls right. off that Mandela effect for a lot of people where they think they saw a lot more than they actually did. Uh, and that's, I think, why the movie works so well is your imagination well, you is always see, you, a lot worse. Because the same thing happens to uh, the, the, the one girl, the friend of Renee Zellweger's in Next Generation. And when she gets hung on the, in that movie, I, I'm pretty certain you see, like, you don't see, like, her back and getting paled, but, like, you see, like, her backside while she's hanging and shit like that. And you definitely see the after effect because she's got, like, a whole sequence at the dinner table at the end, you know, after she's been hung and shit like that. So, that girl gets put through the ringer in that movie. But anyway, that's now twice we've talked about that fucking movie. Let's move on. Um, so, yeah, Pam hangs of leather. While he's cutting Kirk up directly in front of her. And 
that's gotta be a living nightmare watching your fucking boyfriend get hacked to shit with a goddamn chainsaw. Ooh, he's probably still shaking too. God. Can't only imagine what that's like. So, more guessing around the symbol's meaning on the car while it's, or the van, while it's dusk outside. Franklin's waiting at the van while Sally and her boyfriend David Letterman are like, what are we going to do? Dude, I'm not kidding. All my entire life since I first saw this movie, Ask Venker, I was like, dude, that guy is a spitting image of a younger David fucking Letterman. You cannot convince me otherwise <laughs> that Jerry does not resemble David Letterman. No, I can see it. Letterman, Franco, we got a, we got a good cast going right here. Right. So Jerry goes, he volunteers himself to look for Kirk and Pam while Sally stays back with her brother at the van. Um, and back to Neil Pearl and his fucking cinematography because a lot of low angles and outdoor visuals. And my favorite thing about all of this is how he came back to shoot the remake, like I said. And there's a shot around this point while Jerry's walking and there's a large orange glowing sun right in front of him in the sky. It's one of my favorite shots in this entire movie. It's fucking beautiful. Um, so then he goes to the house and he hears noises from the front screen door. Invites himself in. Goes to the back room. And he discovers Pam in the freezer before getting kind of spooked back because she kind of like it's a, it's a jump scare she pops out of the freezer she's all like you know blue and frozen and purple and all cold and he backs up and like fucking encounters Leatherface once again with his big fucking hammer drops the hammer on Jerry Jerry's out for the count that's fucking that so now it's nighttime, and Sally decides to go after the rest of the group after her uh, yells go unanswered. And along with Franklin, too, by the way, who's not happy about it. <laughs> he just wants to go back to the gas station, but eventually forces himself to come along. He's driving Sally insane, and they're fucking going back and forth. And you'd swear there's some fucking real behind-the-scenes tension between um, Marilyn Burns and uh, uh, Paul Pertain because the, she's screaming like for reals at him and shit and he's kind of like giving it to her like I, I don't know something happened that I don't know about but like this scene here is like really fucking effective and believable they're definitely nagging brother and sister even when it comes to life and death situations like this um so would yeah, you, and he's fucking annoying. Would you thank you, Would you be able to handle a trip of any kind with Franklin? No, I I'd, I'd be like fuck him, get him out of the van. <laughs> I I mean, I just I don't know. He's like baby Huey. Like, he's just fucking annoying. He's befriending and crazy like, hitchhikers, blowing raspberries everywhere, crying all the time, and he's in a wheelchair, so he's not the most accessible person to be with. No, uh, uh, yeah, he just. He like you said before, it just doesn't belong on this road trip. I uh, I just I just think of uh, Jay and Silent Bob like when they're in the van, like yo man, get the sheep fucker out of here, and just throw him out. Like that's what I would want to be. With the Frank. Like up. yo man, get this fucking guy out of here. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, definitely not me either. Um, and then yeah, it's Leatherface. Sorry, Franklin. 
the only chainsaw <laughs> kill in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and, and it's shot from behind, so you don't even see anything other than like Franklin's arm. Oh, dude, around. I think I knew. Like, oh, I know. I definitely saw, like, I don't know if it was the transfer I saw because I watched it. How'd you watch it, by the way? Uh, well, I own it on DVD, as I mentioned earlier, but it was late last night and I didn't feel like moving. So it was on Tubi for free. So I just watched it that way. Okay. It's also on Showtime Anywhere. And that's what I have. So. But when I went to hit play, it told me the quality and it said 4K. And I'm like, interesting. And I will be goddamn if it wasn't no fucking 4K. It was definitely 4K, I mean. Because for the first time in my life, watching this scene when Franklin gets killed or hacked up with, by the Leatherface, I saw blood. Like, you see, like, blood, like, squirting, like, around, like, all over. And, like, maybe you could see it before in transfers, but, like, if you could, it's the most faintest fucking vision. But whatever copy I watched off of Showtime, my point I'm driving home is that it was, like, crystal clear. Definitely makes me think this was a true 4K copy that I watched because I had never seen... You know, that blood, it's a good amount of it. That's spraying from Franklin off the chainsaw. It's pretty wild. Um, so, yeah. Then we, um, shit. So, yeah, we, we've we got our big-ass chase scene now. Another face is consistently on her tail. And that's because even uh, Gunnar Hansen was wearing lift boots uh, throughout the production of this movie to give him that more taller, you know, more powerful look. And even in the lift boots, Gunnar Hansen himself couldn't run faster than Marilyn Burns. So he had to do random things when chasing her. Um, and you'll notice in one head-on shot that he starts slicing up branches from the tree in the background before going after her. And Marilyn Burns herself actually cut herself on the branches quite badly. And so the, a lot of the blood on her body and the clothes in this the scene here, it's real. Like, it's not stage prop or stage blood or anything like that. Like, it's, it's real, genuine blood from her going through all that shit in the dark. Because, you know, definitely doesn't look like there's any, like, big lighting going on at all like it's a true dark shot like it's crazy um so she runs towards the house and finds the uh, the the remains of the elderly couple upstairs just random mummified corpses of this elderly couple in this attic room why the fuck not um so <laughs> she is, she's still being chased. Meanwhile, Leatherface is like sawing the fucking front door of the house. Yeah, no front door. I know, which is it's funny because like you know later he gets in trouble for it, but it's like it's their fucking door. Like, I mean, why are you sawing your own door down, man? Well, he's incompetent. It's Leatherface we're talking about. So she escapes from him by jumping through a second floor window and then flees to the gas station and he almost gets her a couple times too the then she comes back to the cook 
And the cult calms her down, offers the help, but then starts beating her with a broom. It's not even the. That is a savage broom. Because beating. he knocks her down, and then he gets on top of her, and then he starts. He has a club too, the club that she originally had, that he retrieves from her yeah. after knocking her down, and that's what he starts beating her with. Because you're right, dude. She fucking takes a beating from this old man, like he's just beating her, dude, like fucking like Tyson blows and shit with this goddamn Billy club. <laughs> like Leatherface has his chainsaw, the fucking cook has a fucking broom. Like, I mean, you know, he's got his own shit. He can beat the shit yep. out of you with that broom. So then he ties her up, gags her, and forces her into his truck. So I want to note the sizzling meat over the flaming red oven in the background. Like, all you hear is an <laughs> old country song on the radio and the sizzling of the meat from during the sequence here. And as the cook's driving home with Sally in the passenger seat, you know, he's fucking sitting there laughing maniacally and fucking, I love Jim Sidow, and beating her with his club the entire drive. It's like, nothing but headlights while he's driving in this scene here of uh, just complete darkness with these two, like, glowing lights. It's just, ah, love it. So the cook gets home at the same time as the hitchhiker and gets out and starts beating him too. Like, he's just beating everyone. Everyone's getting licks from the cook. And scolding him, saying that he warned him about going to the graveyard. Then at the house, the hitchhiker is kicking the door from the truck and then recognizes Sally in the passenger seat as he's told to get her out of the truck and taunts her. You never leave your brother alone, you Get at her and get that girl out of the car. Get her out, get her out of the car. Look what your brother didn't let any of those kids get away from. Look what your brother did to that door. Yeah, he got no right in his home. Get her in there. Look what you did to my door. <laughs> you know, the cook. Scold another face in the kitchen who's now dressed up as an old woman because why not? And Hitcher is trying to uh, no, he's 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 tying Sally up while we hear the cook tell Leatherface to go upstairs and get grandpa. So this is the only time in the series I recall Leatherface making the closest thing to words as he's denying most of the cook's accusations while avoiding being hit anymore. 
Yeah, because like the cook says, you let him get, you let somebody get away, didn't you? And then like Leatherface is like shaking his head no, and then, like, like no, making no, noise. No. Yeah, it's like yeah, that is like probably the closest. So there's lines to talking. So there were lines of gibberish written in the script for Leatherface, and Toby Hooper would sit with Gunnar Hansen and tell him what the lines meant. And Gunnar had to figure out a way to say it without actually speaking. And in the scene where the old man comes home and starts yelling at Leatherface about the door, Hansen remembers a take where he communicated a little too verbally. And Hooper had to stop and say, there was too much intelligence in the character. And the shot was redone. So, my one chance to have a line, Gunnar, Gunnar says, and that's that. So... We see the Hitchhiker and Leatherface. They're working together with bringing Grandpa downstairs while Sally's in agony. And it's hammer time. We get fucking... So, 19-year-old John Dugan. Let me say that again. 19-year-old John Dugan plays 80, 90, 100-something-year-old grandpa in this movie. <laughs> it looks exactly, to me at least, like David Bowie's aged makeup in The Hunger. Like, you ever seen You ever seen The Hunger? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, didn't, I never made Dude, that connection. But it's a now that you image. say it, yeah. <laughs> so... Gunnar Hansen recalls shooting the sequence where they cut Sally's finger and try feeding the blood to Grandpa. The tube that shot the fake blood kept clogging, and finally, after several takes without the tube working, Hansen simply sliced Burns' finger open in real life, and the reason was, at this point, we were all insane. He proceeds to explain his only desire at that point in shooting was to get this, the, the film done. He didn't care about his fellow actor's well-being, and this sequence was shot <laughs> in the back end of a 27-hour work day. He also noticed that there wasn't much acting going on in the, in the diner scene altogether. So, another thing to point out about this scene here is that they filmed it, it was like 115 degrees outside and whatever. And like the, the the heat index was like up to like 130, 140, shit like that. Like to the point where like people were passing out legitimately on set because the heat. Some people got heat stroke and shit. So, meanwhile, Gunner and everyone are sitting around at this dinner scene, and the meat at the table. They actually just everything like the whole sequence was just spoiled. And the heat was recooking it. It was just so terrible, so miserable. I can only imagine how that smelled. Because they're they're not on a set. They're in the actual house, in that actual room. (sighs) Boy. And then you... It must have been bad. And then Gunnar Hansen has, like, the mask on. And the full get-up on. So More that, that must have been brutal. Oh, I know. And, and I mean, you mentioned it, but this was uh, a no-budget movie, uh, so they were trying to film it as quickly as possible because time is money. So the longer you take the film, the longer you have to have equipment yep. and other things rented. So they were trying to complete it, and I mean, they were just going balls to the wall the whole time. So you know, you figure, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, you're working around the clock, uh, you kind of just want to get done and you kind of, like you said, lose your mind after a while. So, yeah, I could see in the heat of the moment, it's 100 some degrees. This fucking tube keeps clogging. You just want to get it over with. All right, I'm going to I'm going to gig you with this uh, razor. I mean, it's good enough for wrestlers. Why not do it here? Yeah, exactly. So we get the actual dinner scene. And I love how Sally comes to as the camera pulls back on her screaming while the others are howling at her. They're not they're not mocking her, they're not <laughs> laughing at her, they're fucking howling at her like they're goddamn wolves. Then we get that cool shot of the stitches uh, of the um, yeah the, the the stitched face. Athena has a lampshade that's above them on oh, the yeah. light. So it's worth mentioning also that Leatherface is now in his full female getup. That's different than the grandmother act from prior, and the hitchhiker kind of like gives it back to the cook, who initially calls him a bitch hog <laughs> he tells him to shut up and says he's just a cook which he agrees and he says he can't take the pleasure he takes no pleasure in killing so my notes here I said the shots of Sally's eyes in this third act tells you all you need to know about the madness Hooper and company do such a sublime job of displaying chaos in its fullest form here, even getting some shots of the red blood vessels in her eyes from the pain and, and the tears. Like, it's just madness. Literally yeah. madness. It's just insanity. I mean, you have this family, and it's just so insane. It's like, you know, I almost have a hard time believing, like, the cook actually runs a gas station it's just because they're so insane right there but obviously he turns it on and turns it off but it's just like this family it it's believable but it's just so crazy like they're just so mad but it it works so well right so they decide that grandpa the best killer in the old slaughterhouse should kill a Sally. (laughs) so the usage of sound rather than music is pure genius and much more effective than if any old horror melody was used instead. I think it really drives home that sense of terror. And it's just so effective. It's so genius and, and, and inspirational for other horror movies to come down the road. So Grandpa tries to hit her with the hammer over the bucket, but over and over, too weak. Eventually, he gets her pretty good, and in the ensuing struggle, she breaks free, leaps through the window with an obvious stunt double with just a split second you see her jumping out. Like, you can see the fucking curly wig instead of, uh, instead of <laughs> Marilyn Burns' straight blonde hair. Uh, and she flees the road. 
with the hitchhiker and Leatherface chasing her as her back's being sliced to shit the entire time by the hitchhiker. Get to the main road, and a random truck driver runs down the hitchhiker, then stops to save Sally. Dude literally stops dead in his track as they're cheap they're being chased, turns around, and lunges his big ass pipe wrench at Leatherface's head, <laughs> causes him to fall back I and know. slice his own fucking leg open. I know, it's just so iconic, but it is funny because like this poor trucker, like he's just stopping the like you know, see what's going. He kills the one guy. Job. So exactly. Like, he's just, and then he's like, "Oh fuck!" And he's like running around because that's exactly how it'd be. Like if you're a truck driver in that situation, you'd be running around your fucking truck from this maniac. But it, it was just so and, entertaining. And then he dips <laughs> to see them run from leather. And things. then he dips out of the fucking scene and movie altogether. And it, <laughs> pretty it, much exactly, it. and then Sally narrowly escapes in the back of another random truck that pulls up as Leatherface approaches, while the drivers attempted to know, restart the it. The truck starts breaking down. <laughs> the truck, the pickup truck, starts breaking down. I, I was just thinking, like in an alternate world, like watch that truck break down. All those people <laughs> get chased by Leatherface. Then another car, and it just keeps fucking going, and it's like a twenty car pile. Only on because highway. it's a hard Leatherface. Movie. And Leatherface is just chasing a horde of people because <laughs> right, right. they just keep breaking down. So they eventually drive away as Sally breaks down and laughs while Leatherface angrily swings his chainsaw around in anger and defeat, doing that Leatherface chainsaw dance that closes this film out. <laughs> is 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from director Toby Hooper. All right, trivia tidbits. Now remember that, because the more you know. 
Alright, so according to John Larroquette, his payment for doing the opening narration, can you guess how much? I'm um, sure it was uh, dirt cheap. How much? Hmm. I don't know, like a hundred bucks. A joint. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> hey, I mean that might not be bad. Marijuana joint. So I know there was like a lawsuit with the cast uh, over this film, like because they just got gypped by the deal they did. Like, yeah, uh, I want to get into that. People that didn't get paid. Get so the soundtrack contains no sounds from musical instruments, with the exception of some copyrighted music in the background. Instead, they had sounds an animal would hear inside of a slaughterhouse. That acts as the score. Director Toby Hooper claims to have gotten the idea for the film while standing in the hardware section of a crowded store during the Christmas season. While thinking of a way to get out through the crowd, he spotted the chainsaws. Um... Gunnar Hansen said that during filming, he didn't get along very well with Paul Bortain, who plays Franklin. A few years later, he met Partain again and realized that Partain, a method actor, had simply chosen to stay in character while not filming. That led the two to become good friends, leading up to Paul Partain's passing. According to Edwin Neal, who played the hitchhiker, Texas State Troopers actually shook his hand and thanked him, causing crime drug uh, thanked him for causing crime to drop 18%. Apparently, the message audiences took away from the movie was don't mess with hitchhikers. The film's original distributor was Bryanston Distribution Company, which turned out to be a, a mafia front. Say that again. A mafia front operated by Louis Periano Butchie who used the film to launder profits he made from Deep Throat. In return, the production received <laughs> only enough money to reimburse the investors and pay the cast and crew $405 apiece. The producers eventually discovered that Periano had lied to them about the profits after he was arrested and obscenity char- well, obscenity charges when his role in Deep Throat was revealed. The cast and crew filed suit against him and were awarded twenty-five grand each. New Line Cinema, which obtained the rights to the film from the now bankrupt Bryanston, paid off the cast and crew as part of the purchase agreement. And that was that. The film's original budget was six thousand dollars. I'm sorry, sixty thousand dollars. During the editing process, however, the filmmakers incurred an additional eighty grand in cost, requiring that they sell off proportion sell proportions of their ownership in the film's royalties. So they had to sell off royalties to get the money to fucking, you know, to make you know, what what they had the which was more than double what the film uh, you know, initially cost. That's crazy. But they did it and the rest is history. Toby Hooper wanted the film to receive a PG rating. <laughs> That's a little optimistic uh, there, let Toby. That, <laughs> let that one sink in. And even contacted the NPA to plead his case for it, which he argued that the film doesn't show very much gore. He noted the film had maybe two ounces of blood in its entirety, but recognized the worldwide belief that it's a wall-to-wall gore fest. Daniel Pearl. Yeah, it's he's 
He's not wrong about that, but like you have to have context. Like watching this film, there is no way that that should be PG. I agree, it shouldn't have got banned anywhere. That's a little going a little too far to me. Like people that haven't seen the movie banning it or whatever. But this is definitely an R, even if it doesn't have a lot of blood. Right. True. Um. The final wait. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was not finished that one. Daniel Pearl even gave an example of someone talking to Hooper once about the film, and they were absolutely convinced of the gore. I don't mean to be contrary, but I know how much blood was uh, that. But I know how much blood was made. Hooper apparently quipped. Needless to say, the film got an R rating anyway in the end. The final shot of Leatherface swinging his chainsaw around was not scripted. Gunnar Hansen was actually venting his anger and frustration on set due to the grueling production, but Toby Hooper was so impressed that he kept the shot in the film and he kept the cameras rolling on Hansen to obtain said shots. The close-up of Leatherface cutting his leg on the chainsaw was on the very last sh- was the very last shot to be filmed. Uh, Gunner was wearing a metal plate over his leg, which was then covered with a metal a piece of meat and a blood bag. He his scream uh, that the actor made in pain was genuine, as the chain reportedly hit the plate. The friction from this caused the plate to get very hot, and it burnt his leg. You gotta have some balls to do that, even with a metal yeah, plate. You gotta have some absolutely. balls to put that on your leg. Fuck that. No, 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 no. All right. Box what? office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right, so the film has premiered on October 1st, 1974 in Austin, Texas, before premiering October 7th, I'm sorry, October 11th, 1974, from, like I said, Bryanston Distributing Company. What the film did was it screened nationally in the U.S. as a Saturday matinee. It was false marketed as a true story, which helped it with a broad audience. So for eight years after 1976, it was annually reused for uh, first-run theaters, prompted by full-page ads. So essentially, it became like a an annual drive drive-in uh, theater uh, drive-in movie. Sorry, uh, kind of like a roadshow attraction almost. I mean, well, a lot of movies were like that back then. I mean. You know, wide release. It's not like today where it's like a movie comes out and it's everywhere. Oh yeah, I know. Well, in the US. I, I, I've explained I mean, that movies travel. Yeah, I've back explained then. that on the show before. I've always, I've always said that movies were like a a traveling fair or circus back in the day, um, in their earliest releases. So yeah, the film. I couldn't get any information on the theater count or opening or second weekend numbers. None of that. Uh, I got a total gross of $30.9 million against a budget of hundred and forty grand. That's that's it. Yeah, and I think I read like half of that money came from home video, the $30 million. That, I think and, if I read that know, correctly. Just playing theatrically different places, you know, that following year. Um, or following two years, rather, 1976, it said. 
So yeah, that's that. Let's take a little walk to the Critics Corner and see what they had to say. Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a Rotten Tomato score of 89% from 63 reviews. The critical consensus saying thanks to a smart script and documentary style camera work, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre achieves start to finish suspense, making it a classic in low budget exploitation cinema. Um, a lot of people have been calling this exploitation cinema over the years. Where do you tend to, 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 to land on that? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's exploitation. I don't think it's too exploitative. Uh, you know, it doesn't have the gore. To me, an exploitation movie would just have like tons of gore or tons of nudity and sexuality or language. And this movie doesn't do it with that. It, people think it's that way just because of the craft of filming and just the way it's shot and just the way the sound is and uh, just some of the acting. Uh, I think people create that in their heads and then that's how they come to that conclusion, in my opinion. Right, right. So it had a meta score or has a meta score of 78 out of 100 based on 14 reviews. Ebes said it was as violent and gruesome and blood-soaked as the title promises, yet praised its acting and technical execution. He said horror and exploitation films almost always turn a profit if they're brought in at the right price, so they provide a good starting place for ambitious would-be filmmakers who can't get more conventional projects off the ground. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre belongs in a select company with Night of the Living Dead and The Last House on the left of films that are really a lot better with the genre than, I'm sorry, of films that are really a lot better than the genre requires, not, however, that you necessarily enjoy seeing it. And let's see, let's see, let's see. The Cincinnati Inquirer, that would be Donald B. Berrigan. Berrigan says the. He praised the lead performance of Marilyn Burns, saying Marilyn Burns as Sally deserves a special Academy Award for one of the most sustained and unbelievable, I'm sorry, sustained and believable acting achievements in horror history. I'm sorry, he said in movie history. I'm sorry, I misquoted the man I meant to say. Movie history, so. Academy Award. If only the Academy Awards recognized horror. I'm just going to leave it at that. Move on. Variety found the picture to be well made despite what it what it called the heavy doses of gore. Empire described it as the most purely horrifying horror movie ever made and called it never less than totally committed to scaring you witless. Wes Craven said, reminiscent about his first viewing of the film, recalled wondering what kind of of Mansonite Crazoid would have created such a thing, with Stephen King chiming in saying it is a work of catalyst- catalysmic 
terror, I would happily testify to its redeeming social merit in any court in the country. Um, so yeah, that's that. Let's go to pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Pros for me, Daniel Pearl cinematography first and foremost. If you need a reason for that, rewind about a half hour ago. We were talking about the man's work in this movie. The score over score. Um, I'm sorry, the sound and score. The Gunnar Hansen portrayal of the simple-minded killer. It's a truly frightening horror classic that doesn't deserve, that doesn't depend on blood or gore. I gave it a pro for originality. And finally, it really nails down the true element of horror. How about you? What are your pros? Uh, so my first one is this movie is just disturbing. Uh, it's just off-putting. Like when watching it, it's just done so well that you know it just has always messed with me. Like uh, like I said before, I just feel dirty watching it. Um, it's just done so mm-hmm. well. Uh, I think it's like one of those genuinely just it's always kind of bothered me type horror movies. There's other horror movies I like, but I watch them. I have fun, but I don't really think about them again. It doesn't really necessarily change my mood, but this movie did that, especially uh, when I was younger and first watching it. Um, And I just like the fact that they don't rely just on gore or anything else to get that disturbing. It's just the imagery, like the setting of the house, just having like the chair made of bones is just so um, offsetting. Um, just uh, like you said, the cinematography is just so well done. Like the documentary style that this movie is shot in, it, it just and then the film grain added in. It, I mean, not added in, but just take into account the film grain. It just looks awesome. Like it just looks like this old grimy documentary um, when you're watching it, and you can just feel the heat and the smell and everything else coming through. Yeah. Um, Leatherface is awesome. You know, he's an icon. Like, even if people haven't never seen a Texas Chainsaw movie, people know who Leatherface is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they know he's a dude with a chainsaw with the mask on. So he's just iconic. And, uh, you know, it's just awesome seeing him in this. Uh, Gunnar Hansen does a great job with him, Um, like nonverbally communicating. Like, you know, even, even when you're watching this, you can understand what he's trying to communicate, you know. Like when he's pointing stuff and going, you know, making different noises or the animal noises. I mean, this poor guy is being raised by like this crazy cook guy. So, of course, he's going to have issues. Um, And I like that it's vague. Like you don't learn a lot, but I think that's what makes it better. I think once you start going into too much detail, like a lot of the other sequels do, that's kind of when you start falling apart. Like you just know it's this crazy guy with a chainsaw. He wears a mask. Uh, of human flesh like it's, it's just so iconic and you know he's like a pudgy guy I, I just like his build I just always like Leatherface and then the dance at the end just seals it like oh, that yeah. dance is just so right. awesome like that's because that's how he'd react he's like an, he's infuriated he's like a child yeah, he's almost pissed. yeah he's infuriated and he's child so that was just awesome uh, the sound effects sound design add a lot you know there's no score um, 
which, you know, in some cases scores can add a lot, but in this one, just the lack of regular music just makes it just feel real. Like, uh, you know, when you're walking around in your real life, you know, you just hear noises and music in the background. That's what this does. Uh, when the hammer hits, the, um, you know, when the hammer hits, like you just hear the thud, the chainsaw, uh, just the animal noises right. and the slaughterhouse stuff they put in. It, it just adds a lot um, to the film. So, yeah, that's my pros. All right. So let's talk cons. Um, I wrote down two. The Franklin character becomes a bit too much as the film goes on. Something that we talked about earlier in the conversation. And the title is sort of misleading because it's like it's referring to this all as a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yet only one person gets killed via chainsaw. So that's that's all. They nothing major, no, no huge cons, just uh two of them that came to mind as I was thinking out loud. So how about you? Do you have any cons? Yeah, so you kind of hit on it. Um, my number one con was just not enough chainsaw kills. Like, uh, you know, you get the one with Franklin. And I'm not saying it has to be, like, super in detail. Like, I know they were going for a less score. Uh, but I think there could have been a more effective way to integrate the chainsaw, especially, like you said, if you're going to put it in the title um, and have it be such a big part. Like, if this was named something else and... Uh, it wasn't as big of a thing, then it might not even be a con for me then. But uh, to have the title uh, and then just have him, you know, with the chainsaw the whole time, but nobody gets killed by it other than Franklin, and you don't even get a good look at it, a little bit disappointing. Um, my other one is the acting with the teens. Other than Sally, I'm not a huge fan of really any of them. I know it was all local actors that were cheap right. uh, because the movie was cheap. They're not terrible. Uh, you know, it doesn't take away hugely from the movie, but those opening scenes, especially Franklin <laughs> in particular, yeah, right, right. it can get a little grating. And I try to think of it too. Like I saw this when I was a kid. I could definitely see some people being turned off before they can get to the really good stuff, just by the oddness of some of the um, teen stuff at the beginning in the van. So I could have, you know, that's a little bit questionable uh, other than Sally. So I could have did without some of that. All right, then. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? I would add one or two more chains on this. Maybe bring back forehead from earlier just to kill him off. Something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Just think it out loud. Uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, give give the massacre more of a massacre. You know what I'm saying? Right. How about you? Um. Yeah, I mean, the whole graveyard scene to me is just kind of odd. Which one? You know, I know why they. Um, at the beginning when they're going to visit, oh, okay. like, you know, because of the grave robin, so they're the going to Woodstock visit graveyard. the um, yeah, that whole scene was just odd to me. That doesn't play in reality with me whatsoever. Like rewatching it, like I always, like we said before, I thought this movie was real back in the day, but rewatching it now, that shit ain't real. Like I don't know what was going on there. Like <laughs> I know it was a whole big thing. Like there's grave robbing. They're trying to discover, so people are going to see their loved ones, but like it wouldn't be like a party atmosphere 
with like drunk yeah, people, people falling be tailgating over. <laughs> at a fucking graveyard. Yeah, you would just go in, check out your loved one, and leave. You know, it, it wouldn't be like that. So I don't know. That was kind of silly. I don't know if Toby Hooper was trying to comment on something and maybe it went over my head. I'm not sure. I didn't get that part. Uh, it it just didn't do it for me. Just changed that a little bit. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, then. Um, finger licking good. <laughs> finger licking good. Uh, for me, it's easy. The chainsaw chase. Uh, the moment he kills Franklin and then goes after Sally, like th- the fact that he's so close to her and never really loses momentum the entire chase, even to the house, the Sawyer house, through all that out the window, back to the golf gas station where the cook is, like that entire five minute sequence, like it always has me on the edge of my seat. It's the one scene that I always look forward to watching every time this is on. So how about you? Um, mine's the dinner scene. Um, it, it's just insanity. Like just, it's just so off, like sitting there at the table, like they have this woman captured and she has a full plate of food at the table. Like they, their crazy asses gave her like her own place setting and she has food like sitting there like she's gonna fucking eat it or something like that like this hostage it's like just you know wants to get the fuck out of there and then you have like the hundred year old grandpa there and then them howling and just it's just insanity like you know i always took it as like a dig on like the um like a nuclear family because like you have the cook who's like the dad who's in charge you have leatherface who's kind of like the mom or the housekeeper and then the hitchhiker is like the rebellious son or something like that. And then you got grandpa just fucking checked out in the wheelchair over there. So it, it's just like the complete opposite of what you would think of for like a, a regular family. And it's just so odd and just great. Like I just feel a little more insane every time I watch that scene. All right, let's pick out our movie MVPs. All right. Now you might think I'm a little biased, But I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. The most valuable player is... Um, I'm going to let you go first. Who's your MVP for this? So mine is definitely Marilyn Burns, um, or as she plays Sally. Uh, She's what sells the whole ending, like from her running, uh, just the expressions and her screaming at the dinner scene, and just the look... Uh, on her face when she gets in that pickup truck at the very end and is escaping, she sells it for me. Like she is 100% believable. Like if you told me that was real and she actually believed all that was happening, I would believe it. That's probably how I would look too. Um, She just does so well because some movies are just killed by that. Like you have this damsel in distress in a certain part and it's just stupid like i I mean just going back to the next generation like renee zellweger nothing against renee zellweger but it was fucking terrible like it's not believable at all like i mean just like screaming at him and like taking charge like like it could easily just be hokey or just completely kill the moment but i think her uh just reacting and selling all that is what really elevates that scene and obviously everybody else is doing a great job too i'm not taking away mm-hmm. from that uh you know if i had a second place it would definitely be gunner hansen's leatherface but to me sally is really what um marilyn burns um as sally is really what sells the ending 
Well, me and you just flipped out the answers. Because for me, it's Gunnar Hansen. I do believe with him being the OG of the Leatherface that he pretty much started something that he pretty much concocted himself with, you know, I know we got some tidbits and, and some tips from, from the man himself, Toby Hooper, but for the most part, this was something that Gunner, you know, took time to work on, and I think in the end, crafted it as best as anyone ever could, and uh, I, I think that because of that, this is his movie, the way he acts, the way he is, like, people are looking at a crazy flesh-stitched mask killer with a, you know, hardware chainsaw tool, and uh, I don't know, I guess I'm seeing something else, but for me, Gunnar Hansen, definitely, he's the MVP, so that's that. That, eh, not done yet, we still got final thoughts to talk about, so let's do that. And give out our final ratings. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. So, as always, out of five star ratings, that's our system. That's how we do in the film effect here. I am giving the 1974 Toby Hooper classic a four and a half star out of five rating. Um, just for reasons I've been talking about throughout this entire episode. Just the fact that it's just so grounded and in your face and just it's a classic dude when you think horror this is one of those big time horror things that you just that comes to mind this Night of the Living Dead Evil Dead maybe of course you got your Friday's Child's Plays Elm Street's Halloween stuff like that but like you know it's 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 a film backed up by great filmmaking some uh, memorable characters put on by the majority of these uh, yeah the majority of these actors didn't even go on to have much of a career at all so nah. I mean that's that speaks volumes in itself right there so yeah I, I just think everyone that helped contribute to this excuse me I think that everyone who helped contribute to this movie, had a role and they played that role so well and just it was a team effort group effort rather and it it, it paid off in spades uh this is a classic horror film for a good goddamn reason there's a reason why this episode is coming out today to coincide with you know the umpteenth sequel of this franchise because hey at least, you know, there was a point in time growing up where we would have killed for another Chainsaw Massacre, but, like, they just, they weren't putting them out like they are now. So, I'm, I'm in one hand, again, I'll use that whole one hand, other hand comparison or analogy. In one hand, I, I'm happy for these new fans that this film has the potential to reach out to. Not that all, not that all of them are gonna go into this, you know, getting it or even enjoying it. Because I'm gonna just be honest, they probably never watched the original before, so they're probably not gonna get a lot of stuff. But I don't know. I just probably for a lot of them, the original is probably the O three. 
Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um so yeah, this it's one of the greatest horror films ever made. And you know, it that that's that. That's that, that little truth in my closing statement or argument here. So how about you? What's your final rating and why? Uh, mine's not as high as yours, but it's still good. I mean, I'm still going to give it, um, three and a half stars out of five. Still a really solid rating. Okay. I'll, I'll say this, the, the movie's super influential. You know, it's one of the early slasher movies. I mean, you think about when this movie was made 74, there was no Jason, there was no Freddy. Nope. Then, uh, I think black Christmas came out either the next year or the uh, later this year, Same I year. think like, yeah black christmas came out around then like these are like the og slasher um movies you know these were this is before even halloween you know halloween was several years later so it was breaking new ground with horror because up in you know 20 years ago previous to 74 horror was like monsters and evil scientists and uh stuff like that not saying there's anything wrong with that but this was just taking horror in such a new direction um, so while I wouldn't say this is like one of my favorite slashers, it's definitely influential. Um, and I think for any horror person, it's important to watch just to kind of see how later movies would improve on the formula. Uh, I mean, it's still extremely well done. Like we mentioned several times before, just the way it's shot, um, the way it's, it's written, mm-hmm. um, just the way they built within their constraints. I mean, this movie was made for you know, like what, like you said, $60,000. I mean, that's like mind boggling to think. Peanuts. Um, yeah. That you can, Cause I know it's six, I know it's 60,000 and 74. So it's a lot, it would be a lot more today, but even today, like you have a couple hundred thousand, it's not easy to make a good movie for that. Like you have to have talent and really have a vision and know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, yep. The movie came out extremely well, and I think they used everything that they could as far as like the great sound design, the great cinematography, um, you know, getting just the most out of everything. Um, Gunnar Hansen was fantastic as Leatherface. Um, it's just an influential uh, film. I mean, it just led the way for slashers, and it's just off-putting. Every time I watch it, it's just I could still feel the heat and feel this their smell the stink and just uh feel the craziness at the um dinner scene so it's just a movie i always remember and it launched leatherface all right well this episode has been sponsored by the lone star state of texas home to many things including tasty barbecue armadillos and austin if you're messing with texas you're messing with the best of us get a rope all that being said this film definitely gets that film effects seal approval and that will bring things home for this edition of the show one down many 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 more to follow check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes on our website at www.thefilmeffectpodcast.com uh folks if you checked out our twitter or facebook pages in the last week or so we announced that unfortunately due to just no one jumping onto it we decided to 
scale back and postpone our Patreon page until later on this year. I was thinking probably around July or August we'll regroup and see if there's more of a demand for it. But as of right now, we just had one, and that was our dear, dear friend and fan, Nick Brown-Eller, who we've mentioned numerous, numerous, numerous episodes or yeah, episodes on the show in the past um, over time. And so, yeah, I explained to him. He was totally cool with it. He understood. And it's just one less stressful thing off of my back. Because um, I put a lot of time and yeah. work and effort into this, you know, overall podcast on top of having, you know, my own life, being a father as well as being, you know, got a full-time 40-hour-a-week job. Sometimes more than that. But you know, I, I love this and I felt the Patreon thing was just getting to be a little bit too much and it wasn't worth it because, like I said... It was counterintuitive to what, you know, the goal right. was. The goal is to get some extra money to put into the podcast to get more content. But at that point, <laughs> you're just making content for no real money so that it just almost becomes counterintuitive, I think, at that point. And then I think things can suffer because, like you said you work um and obviously um you know we have like myself sean justin who record but you know ed's the one that puts everything else together so you know we just show up watch the movie show up and record ed does everything else so the fact that you have time to do as much as you do i'm surprised that the patreon was just adding so much stuff because i know you took it so seriously to meet every single perk that you put on there which i know uh, some patreon creators don't do that they promise stuff and never deliver and i know you were delivering on on everything uh but the demand just isn't there you know we're still a baby podcast so you yeah. know we'll get there eventually it's just not quite there yet that's all yeah you know i i, I can't be mad at myself i shot my shot i at least tried so we did that we tried it and uh now we will scale back and regroup in about six months uh, also, we have a brand new weekly show called The Fewer Cast that will drop every Friday morning. It'll be about an hour long. Every episode will feature myself, Corey, Sean, and Justin. The gang will be there for every single one of those, or at least most of us, because I know it's life shit happens. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be us being us. We're going to be just talking about things going on, talking about entertainment news, rumors, latest trailer drops. We're going to be bringing back weekly recommends. Um, it, yeah, I think it's a it's good idea. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I think it was a, it's going to be fun because, you know, one of our parts that we all of us enjoyed was at the beginning of the podcast, just BS and, and talking about different movies and um, just current stuff. And then, you know, it was almost kind of a detriment to the episodes because then you're listening for an hour and you haven't even talked about the movie we're supposed to be spotlighting. Right, right, right. So I think it's a good idea to spin it off into its own show. So if you like that beginning portion of the podcast of us just BSing, uh, you're going to love the new um, format that we're coming out with on Fridays. Absolutely. And, you know, so by the time this episode comes out, we've already been, it would have been out, well, not out, but it would have been recorded and dropped the same day as this. So I'm sure it's going to be a great time. I've already got the format uh, written out. So looking forward to that. Um, 
trying to think anything else uh we also have the conversation with episode uh episode two with um horror expert as netflix calls him sean clark uh host of the <laughs> horrors hall horrors hollowed grounds show that he did he's been doing for the last 15 to 20 years now as well as co-host of the podcast the thing with two heads that he does with the uh, christopher allen nelson the makeup effects artist from the suicide squad and other great horror films the all the halloween movies uh the, the new uh david gordon green ones at least um He's currently also gonna he's gonna be doing the Exorcist movies that David Gordon Green's doing. Um, he's been around for decades, so if you're curious as to what he's done, look up. You know, fun fact: Christopher Nelson played the bride's husband in Kill Bill Volume Two, who gets killed by Bill in the beginning with uh, everyone in the church. He was the guy that the bride was going to marry, uh, but was killed along with the rest of the family um, inside that church in black and white. So he also has some, uh, you know, acting chops outside of, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff. So anyway, that episode uh, dropped last Wednesday or this past Wednesday. So check that out. We recorded that two weeks ago. Had a fun time. Uh, Sean's a good guy. I've been a fan of his for years now. And just when I asked him if he wanted to come on and he was really quick to say, sure. And I was just like, well, that was easy. Cool. So yeah, hopefully by now the reception has been very positive and yeah. Okay. So this Tuesday we're continuing our Tarantino Triple X celebration with a very special episode all about Inglorious Bastards, a film that is 100% absolutely positively definitely top 5 material for this guy. And to help celebrate, Sean will be making his grand return to the podcast after a brief hiatus. And now my kid brother Andrew will also be back to talk about Tarantino's masterpiece with us. Got so much to throw out there about this movie. So check that one out this coming Tuesday. Available on all podcast platforms like you needed to hear me tell you guys that. Alright, please follow us on various social media platforms for all updates and latest news. We're on Twitter where you can follow us at Film Effect Pod. You can also follow us on both Facebook and Instagram. We're at Corey. The Film Effect Podcast. Alright, and where can you find us on TikTok? At Film Effect Podcast. Which, really quickly, I've been using a lot more often than I used to. So, check it out. TikTok. <laughs> and where can they send us emails if that's the name of their game? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right, kids and heroes, we put a lot of time and effort into the podcast each and every week. So please, please, please consider leaving us those five star ratings and reviews. Seriously, guys, this is every episode, but really, I really, 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 really hope people go and take the time to listen till the end, hear this bit. And it doesn't take that long. You don't have to like type out a big why. Just select the five star, four star, whatever you think. Just 
I, I really want to get the ratings up. We haven't had any fresh ratings or reviews on the podcast on any platform and like it's been a while. So I, I just really want to drive that home to people listening. It would mean the world to us if we could just take the time after listening to just give us a real quick rating. If you have even more time, drop a review. Either way, it helps us with the algorithm. It helps us get known. I just want to get the name put out there so more can listen to us. And yeah, you can also find direct links to all the platforms mentioned at our website. Once again, www.thefilmeffectpodcast.com. It's that simple. So, Corey, thank you for doing this episode with me. Um, it means a lot. Just you and you and Justin have been doing a great job with helping me out these last few weeks, and uh, I really appreciate you guys for that. I really appreciate you. Yeah, I really appreciate you for this. And, uh, yeah, man. So thanks again. I know I say thanks a lot to you, but I really mean it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun. I always, you know, I always have a good time. It gives me an excuse to watch a movie. I might not have otherwise watched a uh, prime yeah. example, uh, before sunrise, like that wasn't anywhere near like my watch queue, uh, especially with all the good stuff coming out right now. But you know, it was, it's just cool to watch that stuff and then just, take notes and think about it so i always enjoy being on and i love having you on brother so that's gonna be a wrap for this edition of the show another edition of the film effect in the books gang we will see you again on fuck gang (laughs) we'll see you again on tuesday and that is that um yeah anything you want to add before we get out of here I just thought of uh, I love you, man. I will see you again later. I'll see you again in another time. (laughs) (laughs) Just hearing you. And on that note, take care now. Bye bye. (laughs) Bye, guys. This concludes our broadcast day.